in this panel, we're going to be talking about testimonial analysis, uh, use, and aftermath. Um, in this panel, we have um, Stephen Ola, sitting to my <laughs> right, and Roya Burumad, who are going to be talking, giving us some of her of their uh, comments on testimonials and victims' testimonies in, in general. And Lee is going to be serving, Lee Payne is going to be serving as a respondent. So I'll give you the word again. It's <coughs> okay. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, welcome from your very wonderful lunch. I certainly had to enjoy it my own. Uh, let me join the rest in the, uh, thanking the organizing team in pain and um, Nicole and the team. I'm very grateful that you gave us the opportunity to once again come back to Oxford and share what uh, we are struggling with in different parts of the world. Uh, the last few days have certainly been very helpful to me, uh, you know, learning uh, the different transitional justice contexts that people are grappling with around the world. I've been trying to locate where we are in Uganda. I had about post-transition, transitional justice. So I'm thinking maybe, uh, are we in Uganda dealing with pre-transition, transitional justice? Um, certainly in Uganda we had doing uh, bits of transitional justice without a transition. Uh, uh, in, in light of the fact that we have um, a situation where there's some semblance of change in regime policy in terms of how it has been handling uh, insurgent groups, uh, basically from a shift from a militarized approach to governance to some kind of an engagement. And we had an amnesty law, which was, I think, uh, in very many people's opinion, the most significant transition legislation that was ever enacted in the country. But as we talk now, we are faced with a situation where the law that was supposed, supposed to help us transition itself uh, has lapsed. That said, uh, my name is Stephen Ola from the Refugee Law Project, and I head the research and advocacy department. And my understanding of uh, this particular panel was to engage with some of the ethical dilemmas that we face in our attempt to document uh, a post-atrocity situation. Uh, I'm going to just go very briefly about uh, the things we do, and I'm going to focus particularly on the, uh, an initiative that we started um, in collaboration with the Kitgum District Local Government. Initially, it was called the Kitgum Peace Documentation Center. Now we have renamed it the National Memory and Peace Documentation Center. So you'll ask me why are we talking about a national memory in a situation of uh, uh, in, in, in a situation there where there's no transition. As I said, uh, we have a semblance of peace, and we realize that um, just like we have heard from speakers from Latin America, how long it can take for a country to embark on a fully fledged transitional justice uh, process. And the challenges that comes with that kind of, uh, you know, duration of time and uh, the, the, the long, the prolonged uh, violations. 
In Uganda, we are faced with a similar situation. We don't know when for sure the LRA situation will come to an end. What we have seen now is the insurgents have shifted boundaries from the Ugandan territory to the Democratic Republic of Congo. We know that one of the active culpable parties is the state itself in terms of uh, the NRM regime, which we don't know when there will be a change in the regime itself. So meanwhile, different civil society actors are trying to put in place uh, bits and pieces of information that can help the country in future to engage in a more comprehensive transitional justice process by preserving uh, materials that any truth commission or a legitimate trial can engage. So the National Memory and Peace Documentation Center is conceived as both a forward-looking and a backward-looking uh, facility, one that will try to document what happened for and preserve it uh, for future use. At RLP, we look at this as Uganda's first history clinic, where history will be preserved, and probably as you engage with all these bits and pieces of information, you're able to chart a better way forward. Now, because I don't have much time, I have an 18 minutes documentary that we did. And I think I want to flag this documentary to generate all kinds of discussions that we could uh, 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 use to understand what is the context like and what is the challenges in Uganda's attempt uh, to reckon with its past, or present, actually. So I would just ask for the light maybe to be dimmed, and we watch this 18 minutes documentary, and I'll be happy to answer most of the questions in the following um, discussion. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> I should say that's where the dilemma is. And, um, you know, sitting down the last few days listening to all the different methodologies people are engaging with in different contexts um, reminded me in what <clears throat> we consider in Uganda to be the biggest challenge. How can we research today in a way that uh, is empowering to the victims? to be able to demand for the justice that they want uh, in future. I, I think a few highlights from the documentary, I have one minute unfortunately, but it's to just demonstrate that uh, for all the methodological uh, strength, if you go to conduct a research in northern Uganda and these were people who could not speak 10 years ago, we actually had encountered some of these survivors who later on approach us to share their stories. They couldn't speak in 2004 when we were doing the first documentary on gender against men. Uh, ten years later they approach our office and say we want to talk about certain things. Life might not, uh, we might not be able to uh, see the suffering for the next two years. So even as we wait for a transitional justice policy in the country which uh, is expected by 2014 a lot of victims are still nursing their wounds. They wait, uh, they are unable to speak, they are unable to engage in the transitional justice process. Meanwhile, as experts, we are very busy trying to articulate what they require for final closure. A couple of lessons that uh, we have learned as RLP in our engagement is that whereas uh, victims' senses of justice are evolving over time, they're definitely changing in terms of what they want today, what they want tomorrow, 
the fact remains that uh, the absence of violence or the cessations of the violation doesn't mean uh, the pain has stopped. And so we should put in place mechanisms that will capture their experience. I was so moved when somebody talked about the way people in South Africa experience their violation and, uh, and what that would mean in terms of what are the perceived redresses, how people will uh, uh, at the end determine whether or not uh, justice has been done. The other uh, question which is very important in the documentary as well is the whole issue of attribution. And I think uh, Tim talked about how uh, the international system attribute responsibility. That is quite different from how the victims who experience a violation attribute responsibility. And, 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 and to, to be able to satisfy their senses of justice as well, you need to take that into account. Uh, the other problem we have in Uganda as well is the whole uh, mix of what constitutes reparation. Does a recovery program necessarily mean that uh, the injuries or the legacy of violence has been repaired? And I think what you saw in the PRDP program and how the policymakers uh, talk about proudly of, you know, we have this comprehensive peace, recovery and development plan, which is a very positive step by the government to acknowledge the suffering of the victims. But the scope of the PRDP itself, as you saw from that map, basically the entire part of the country, which has little to do with the direct uh, violations that occurred, is part of the PRDP. So a lot of the ethical questions uh, that emerge from this particular documentary, I think I'll respect the chair's time and use the discussion uh, time to answer those questions. Thank you very much. Thank you.